I think we all want to secretly write a book, right? Well, we want to write a book that's a bestseller, but we'll settle for a hardcover that sits on a few hundred bookshelves. But two things tend to hold us back. One, what will people think? Will they hate it? And secondly, and more importantly, it kind of feels like a lot of hard work. This is where today's guest comes in. Is it possible to schedule and produce a book in under a year? And outside of ego, why do we want to write a book anyway? My name's Jared Doyle, and this is The Practical Podcast, where I interview marketing experts from around the world to help startup founders like you drive their business forward. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode. This week, we're going to be talking about how to write a book, why you might write a book as a founder of a company, what you could possibly gain from putting in all those hard hours into publishing, self-publishing, or even finding a publisher. And we're really lucky to have Corey Wormsley joining us, who is a coach and an expert and an advisor on exactly that topic. So Corey, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Thank you for having me on. No problem whatsoever. So for me, the big question is, after the kind of idea of, you know, I'd like to write a book because I think I've got lots of important things to say. As a business owner, I think the core question is, why would a business owner or a founder of a startup company, why would they want to write a book for business purposes outside of maybe just ego? (laughs) Okay. So there are a few different reasons why you might want to write a book. And it's not necessarily to make a huge profit Um, And that sort of thing. I've had a few people ask me, you know, why would I want to write it if I'm not going to sell this thing and have that be, you know, a big moneymaker for my business? Um, But that's not really the point. The point is to, uh, first of all, give yourself credibility in the business. Uh, It's kind of a way to make it to the next level. So when somebody writes a book, it shows that they know a lot about a certain topic, a lot more than just, you know, time for a Facebook video or a couple blog posts. It shows that you're really committed to this and that you have a ton of expertise that you want to share. And it's you know something that's a longstanding item. So you're putting your stamp on that. You're saying, I wrote this book. Here's my name on it. I'm standing behind these words. So that really says a lot about who you are and where you are in your field. So once you have that book written, you can pitch to podcasts and magazines, TV shows, you know, all the way up the chain and say, hey, I'm, I'm the author of this book. This is my passion. This is what I'm all about. And people say, oh, okay, you know, this guy's really, you know, put in a lot of work on this. So that's the biggest thing that you want to do with it. And then also, you can sell it off of speaking engagements. You can sell it off of, you know, if you have a table at an event, you can sell it there. Another great thing to do with a book is to use it as a lead magnet. Some people use it as like the lowest level. When you get people on your list, they can pick up this book for 10 bucks and hey, they've got an introduction to your programs and they get a taste of what you're all about for a really low cost. And then that gets them the, you know, the no like and trust factor to help, you know, get them into your funnel. Okay. That's, it's really interesting that, yeah, you talk there. You know, for most business owners, it's not going to be about, I guess, turning a profit or even really making any money. So how does that work then with the price that you charge for a book? You know, because obviously the, the price varies. I've seen some people self-publish and charge, you know, a dollar. I guess it's for an ebook, but you're talking here about physical books. So, you know, w- when I see the prices on Amazon from people who have sort of self-published and done most of the work themselves, 
does most of that money go to Amazon or, or is there still kind of a desire to keep the price point about where a traditional professional book would be priced at, I guess? Uh, well, it varies uh, as to whether you're publishing traditionally, if you're publishing like through a self-publishing platform. And even among self-publishing platforms, there are differences in how much you'll make off of the book. So you might go through one and end up getting a dollar off of every book you sell on Amazon, for example. Or another one might do $3 per book. It really depends. So I I always recommend if you're self-publishing to look at multiple self-publishing platforms. And a really good example is Amazon's KDP. That's Kindle Direct Publishing. And it's actually pretty seamless handling it through that and getting your book uploaded to Amazon. I just did one myself. It was a children's book. I'm also a fiction writer. But I did it through KDP and it was so simple to do. And then I believe that I would would make like $3 per book off of that one for every sale. So it's it's not bad. What would a sale retail at to get the $3? I believe I have that one listed as $13.99. Right. Okay. So that's just my Christmas brain going. So yeah. that's Amazon taking $10 of the, or $11 of that mm-hmm. book. Well, part of it's the printing the, cost for, too. Right. Okay. So they actually print. Uh, so I'm coming at this from a completely yeah. newbie point of view. So hang on, let me just, I'm going to wind back just a little bit. Okay. So first of all, we're talking about there's publishers and there's self-publishing. So if I've got it correct, publishers are the big houses that we recognize the name right. of. And that's where you pitch in and they possibly even pay you a little bit of a retainer just for doing the work. Is that right? Yes. If you're doing the traditional publishing route, you typically have to go with an agent first. So the agent would be pitching if you're going with a large publishing house, but there are smaller ones that you can pitch to. Right. Okay. Find an agent, agent pitches to a publishing house. Hence the reason why it's actually quite rare. Mm -hmm. And most people who get those deals have probably self-published a couple of books or at least have a huge following in their own right. You know, they're a sporting star or an actor or whatever it happens to be. So they've got a known audience. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then we go into self-publishing, which is where most people, if they're business owners, that's the path they're going to pursue. And then you were saying there's multiple platforms there that you might use. So Amazon being the biggest name we know in books, mm-hmm. but also has a self-publishing platform. But you're saying there's other platforms as well you might choose for different reasons. Right. I've worked with a couple that both, today they're comparable, but back when I first published my novels in 2012, the other house put out much, much better quality books. So that's why I chose to go with them at the time. Since then, I've seen Amazon's stuff do way better, have a better return, and they don't charge you to upload the interior or the cover of the book. So I went with them on my new children's book. So that ended up being a much better route for me. But I recommend checking around, even Googling print on demand publisher and see what you can find because it's going to be different in different countries too. I'm in the United States. So I'm working with KDP in the United States. I'm working with Ingram Spark, which was a house I worked with previously that did beautiful work. They're both US-based. Right. Okay. And then this is topic that I've heard a few people discussing, which was around the value of sort of producing when you're self-publishing, getting someone who can produce a hard-covered book because it feels like it's got more literal weight, mm-hmm. figurative weight. Is that in self-publishing, if the printing houses are printing these one-off on demand, does that mean they're all going to be sort of the soft-covered books? Or can you also just charge a premium and get a hardcover printed as well? Uh, some houses do offer hardcover. Uh, everything I've done, though, has been just the soft-cover books, the paperbacks. Yeah, I can imagine from a logistics point of view, it makes a lot of sense just to go with whatever whatever they've got set up already to mm-hmm. go and take it from that point. Well, plus there's uh, the deal with trying to drag all these books to an event. 
it's just a lot lighter to carry paperbacks. I like that. That's someone who's got experience. Yeah. You pick up a couple of boxes of hardcover books and you think, why did I do this? Yeah. Okay. So that, so there's a, there's a practical how, like how you actually get, you know, the book to market, so to speak. And then, you know, the other part that springs to my mind as a marketer, and that's my, I guess my trade is if you're self-publishing as opposed to using a publishing house, the big battle is that, you know, outside of your own, you know, your mother and your immediate family who'll probably buy a book because they feel like they have to. What's the typical path that people go through to actually drive sales? You know, just listing it on Amazon alone is probably not going to get you more than five or six sales, I would imagine. Is that a fair statement or or have I completely misunderstood the way Amazon works? Like, Oh, no, it's absolutely true. You need to have a marketing plan for your book. So if you already have a platform, you already have a following, there's a way to you know work with that. Uh, but if you are kind of newer to the business, I recommend working with a marketer. There are people who specialize in book marketing, people who specialize in the launch who can help you get to bestseller status. So consider what you want to actually do with the book. And, you know, maybe that bestseller status is going to be, you know, the most important thing for you. So find somebody who specializes in that. Uh, Or maybe you want to make, you know, X number of sales per month, then work with a marketer toward that goal. But know what you want to do with it too. So if you're doing a lot of speaking gigs, for example, then you can definitely say, all right, I will probably sell 10 to 20 books per gig, you know, depending on how many people are there. You can even include the book in the price of the ticket. There are lots of different things you can do marketing wise to get the book in the hands of the right people. Because, you know, as I've mentioned, the book is not necessarily the moneymaker. It's what gets people into your services and becoming a big fan. Yeah, I can. I've, I've actually, you know, when you mentioned, I've been to a few events where the speaker hands out a book, and it's it's just such a practical, tangible giveaway. You feel like you've got some value, right. and I typically then ask them to sign it because you think, well, this, you know, who knows? They might become a, yeah. a megastar at some point. But it's it feels right. It feels like a really nice value add to add to you know to give to somebody, and as opposed to sort of a USB or something that I might throw away. Books tend to find a permanent place on your bookshelf, so right. I guess. From that leave behind point of view, there's a lot of value. But I guess in my head, I thought, you know, they get these books for free. But I guess what you're saying is actually have to purchase it yourself, wouldn't you? You just go into Amazon and order your own, buy your own book. Is that right? Yeah. I'll just give you the example of events that I do. I've been doing some with my children's book and I will go to Amazon, order 20 books. And I'm paying, if I order in bulk like that, I usually pay about $5 per book. So it's a really reasonable amount to pay. And then you can turn around and sell it for whatever amount you feel is the right value for that. And I always like to market a little bit higher on Amazon. That way people feel like, oh, you know, she's selling it in person for a little bit cheaper. I don't have to pay shipping and I get it signed. What a huge value. You know, so there are some ideas for that, but it's honestly not a huge expense if you do it right. Right. And in terms of like you, you mentioned before about that sort of the bestseller list or getting sort of top rankings, and I, I know a lot of business people that I've sort of followed and spoken to, they often screenshot their Amazon listing at that one particular point where they managed to get top of a particular category. Is that a traditional marketing strategy, which is throw everything you've got in that first week, get as many people to download quickly, race to the top, take out a couple of big, you know, big books and hope and hope like, you know, hell that someone else doesn't launch a book in the same week as you. Is that is that a traditional <laughs> traditional is fairly new but is that is that the normal strategy for someone with a small following yeah a lot of people do that and there are people who are excellent at arranging that whole process so you do need to plan ahead on that so if you want to hit that bestseller mark 
you know, find somebody, I'm not sure if there are a lot of people all over the world who do this, but you know, there are definitely people who do it. Find somebody who can handle that marketing for you. You would be launching an ebook first and then maybe releasing the hard or the uh, paperback version later because you want everybody to be focusing on that ebook. And the awesome thing about the ebook is you can post it for free and it doesn't cost you anything to get it to anybody. So somebody could go on and download it for free that first week and you would have no cost incurred and then you could market to, you know, 99 cents or 199 or 299 whatever price you want to put it at after that. But that's going to drive the sales really fast in a tight window. The other trick with that is to do it with a very narrow niche. So you don't just want to say, this is a business book. You want to say, this is a business book focusing on entrepreneurship, focusing on marketing, like really niche it down. Because when you have very narrow categories that you're working in, you have a much higher chance of hitting that top 10. Okay. So there's probably a lot of research you need to do beforehand to actually find find the niche. It's kind of, well, it's what I do with sort of search engine marketing. It's not trying to go after top, you know, a term in Google like business because you're never going to rank for that. It's finding right. that six keyword string search phrase where you actually have a chance to be number one. Mm-hmm. So the same thing applies on Amazon. Yeah, yeah it's the same okay. thing. So last week I was speaking with Brendan Kane and and he he's published his book, One Million Followers, I think it's called. And I was sort of, I liked him a little bit around in the book. And he said to me, Jared, you've probably already written a book. You just need to assemble all those posts and thoughts and, and, and notes together to actually make that book happen and put some effort and some structure around it. Is that true? Or is he sort of just more trying to like <laughs> push me along the path and see if I'll actually do something there? That's absolutely true. That's actually something I've been talking a lot about lately. I was doing a talk and I said, hey, you guys have probably already written a book, but you don't even know it. Like, go home and look on your hard drive. It's there. <laughs> and I got some really funny looks at the audience. But basically, it's just repurposing your materials. So if you're a business owner, you probably have blog posts, you have articles, uh, you have speaking points, talking points, you know, bullets from bullet points from a video that you've done. If you go back through and look at all of that stuff, look at the full body of work that you've done you probably have the backbone for your book. And I do recommend that people not just grab everything and like cut and paste because it's not going to come out smoothly, first off. And second off, uh, you want to give a little bit more value than just plugging all your blog posts in in order because somebody could just go to your website and get that. And it's, you know, it feels kind of dishonest charging people for something that they could just go to your website and dig around for and find it for free. But yes, you can absolutely go through all the stuff that you've worked on and organize it in a way that you have the bulk of your book done. And I actually started doing this myself in March. I uh, I started my business when my kids were one and three, and it made it very difficult for me to get a lot done in my business in the background. So I really didn't get a chance to do a business book until the spring. And my girls are four and six now. So they're you know getting to the point where they can play independently a little bit and let mommy come and work. But I actually started this spring on my own book and I started by outlining, pulling in some of my blog posts to, you know, fill that in. And in, I think about one hour from looking at the outline to plugging in all the blog posts I had planned for it, I had 10,000 words. So it was really simple to get, you know, nearly half the book done in an hour. Wow. Okay. I'll 
Maybe, yeah, okay, maybe Brendan was onto something there. Maybe if I go back through my posts and I like the idea of speaking notes mm-hmm. or even possibly even transcribing some of my talks and things if I've got them on video yeah. because at the rate an Australian, an excitable Australian like myself speaks, we tend to speed up quite quickly. <laughs> so I probably jam, jam a lot of words in a one-hour presentation. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's just, uh, the, only, the only problem is then it's one thing to do that, but in terms of like the structure and working out, well, is there a coherent theme? Like what's my message? And and actually, because, you know, it's not just a collection of words, right. obviously there's a, there's a mission and objective of this book. How do you advise people around finding that? Like what's the theme and the purpose of the book? Is there a structure to this? Is it magical? Do you have to like, does it come to you when you're in the shower and not thinking about uh, it? Yeah, a lot of stuff comes when you're in the shower. <laughs> um, but I always recommend <laughs> that you sit down at your desk before you start writing and plan it out. So you're doing it on purpose. I always tell people to look at who their audience is and what the purpose of the book is, because you want to make sure that you have that set up first before you even start outlining or digging through your notes. Because if you don't know who you're talking to and what they need to get out of it, and also what you need to get out of it, then you're going to write yourself into a wall and have to back up and try to clean up a mess. And it's way harder to try to clean up the mess and get started again in the right direction than it is to just go in the right direction to begin with. Yeah, I can imagine that's absolutely the case. Like I even when I try to write six or seven hundred words, if I don't get that structure first, mm-hmm. then I end up with this mass of words and you go, what's the point of this? It's not going anywhere. There's a lot of stuff in here. And I don't think anything individually is wrong, but it doesn't, there's no journey, there's no story, right. there's no flow, and you just sort of, okay, I'm gonna have to start again. So I think that's that's good advice. I'm, I guess for me as well, like I'm, I don't find the written word easy. I don't, you know, my, my grammar and spelling is not fantastic. Do you advise, I mean, depending on the skill set of the person, do you advise people to find someone to help on the editing and the structuring, or maybe even just people to put proof, maybe it's not proofreading, but someone else to sort of read it and see if you're on the right path. And what kind of team or friends and family more likely do you assemble around you to help get this book off the ground? Okay. As far as the editing part, I always tell people to do some self-editing first because you want to make sure it's as clean as possible from your perspective before you pass it on to an editor. And I do recommend that you hire a quality editor. You know, Find somebody who's reputable. Even look at some books by people who you know and ask them if it's not written in the book. Find out who edited their book and if they were happy with the work that they did, if they you know, had a lot of people message them and say, hey, this doesn't make any sense. Because uh, you want to make sure that you know, you're working with somebody who's going to make your book appear the best that it possibly can. And I don't want to get bogged down in the different levels of editing and all that stuff. But a proofreader is someone who is going to do a very baseline review. So they'll read it and they'll make sure that there aren't missing words or you didn't put purse instead of pursue, things like that. And they'll check punctuation. So that's the very lowest level. And then an editor is a little bit above that. So for example, I'm an editor for books and I do copy editing, which is basically the same thing a proofreader does, except I also go through and make sure that everything is clean. It's crisp. It makes sense. If you've you know got a couple sentences that are kind of screwy, I'll clean up the language and make sure that that's clear because it's very hard for us to write write down something and be completely certain that we've made that point. Someone could come back through later and say, I don't understand what you're talking about here. And you want to make sure that your editor can handle that. And then above that level, 
you can find somebody who does developmental editing. So if you really feel like I've got all these ideas, but it's kind of a mess, you want to find somebody who can do a developmental edit. They can basically, my husband likes to call it the red wedding, <laughs> do that to a manuscript, just you know, slice and dice, move everything around, change it. So you basically had this idea and a lot of your your personality is going to come through, but it's going to make much more sense than when you first handed it to them. So those are the different levels of editing. And then aside from that, as part of your team, you can also ask people, even before you've sent it to an editor, get some beta readers and say, hey, you guys are my ideal audience. There's two or three of you. I would love to have you read this book and give me all your thoughts on it. Tell me if it makes sense. Tell me if you think you could implement what I'm talking about. Tell me if it's a powerful story. You want to give them very specific questions to answer. You can't just hand it to them and say, hey, tell me if you like it. (laughs) Because if it's somebody who's a friend, they're going to say, oh, yes, it's wonderful. But if it's somebody who's looking at it for more of a critical reason, and they have questions to answer, then they're going to give you good feedback. That's, I think that's really, I was just thinking about that in my head and thought, yeah, if I send it to all my friends and family, they're always going to come back. Well, my wife would pull it apart because she's a journalist, oh, so yeah. she would quite. And you know, obviously, with a, a marital relationship, there's a, a different level of honesty. But yeah. I think everybody else outside of my wife would be, "Oh, it's fantastic! You should do this." You yeah. know, but yeah. So, so the tip there is ask for feedback on specific areas, and that way, someone feels open enough to be able to say, "Actually, yeah, I didn't understand that part, or I felt this was too dry, or whatever it happens to be." But ask them if it's you know funny, engaging, dry, or whatever the point might be. Yeah, must remember that. I'm thinking also, I mean, this is a podcast, obviously it's very audio and, or entirely audio, I should say. <laughs> and I find now I'm consuming more and more audio books. Is that becoming a trend that's, I mean, I know it's a trend that's growing, but is it something that you can self-publish into? Because, you know, I guess who reads it and, and it can be a little bit different. And I've got absolutely no idea about costs and processes that might be behind, you know, not least paying someone to sit there for hours and hours or stand and, and, and read your book out. Do you have much advice or much insight onto how the audiobook side of things is growing and whether that's something that people who are self-publishing should explore? I think it's something that you should look into. And I think it's probably going to vary by country as to what you're going to be able to have access to. I honestly don't know that much about it. I haven't looked in it, into it from my books personally. But I've had a couple questions so that's kind of on my list of things to check out. But mostly what I've been handling has been the physical book or ebooks. Right. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep looking into that one. I just know for myself, like sometimes I just find I have, and for the same reason I listen to podcasts, sometimes I just find myself just not with enough time to sit down. And maybe that's my own personal time management, yeah. but I sort of find what I'll do is if I've got to go, I'm driving, I've got an hour and a half drive each way tomorrow. Yeah, that for me, that's half a book. So right. I'll be able to finish something off and, and move along. And so that's where I find I can dual track my time and achieve something else at the same time. So I don't know what the trend is and I don't know what the cost is of, of doing audio books, but I just know with my sample size of one being me, <laughs> I've now sort of found myself more and more. And if, if someone's got an audio book version, that's the one I'm chasing. So right. and and so just linking back to the to the ebook and, and the pricing there and just sort of closing that loop. You mentioned there, and I do see a lot of people put like the ninety-nine cent ebook on there. Mm-hmm. Do is there is there logic there in producing a book? I mean, if you put, I mean, there's pricing logic with these things. So, in a marketer's point of view, 
if you charge 99 cents for something, there's a perceived value of what 99 cents represents. Is there a strategy there? I mean, you're trying to get the broadest reach you can, but is there maybe a strategy in keeping the price closer to what an actual physical book would be for the purposes of keeping the value, the perceived value of the content in the book higher? Or, or is it is it a case of if you're doing that, it's going to be seen to be more sort of money-making? Or I don't know, maybe my thoughts are way off on that one too. I think it really depends on where you stand in your industry. So if you're a big name and you have a ton of people in your audience, you could probably list it for a much higher price. But in general, you're going to see the 99 cents, you know, some of those lower end books, because you're just trying to get people in, you know, into your funnel, just get them interested in your work. Now, I wouldn't recommend necessarily 99 cents, because again, that feels like a really low price point. And you do want to make sure that they know this is a good, a good book to purchase. What I would do is look at some other books in your industry and see where they're priced not necessarily people who are on your level, but maybe check people who are a little bit above you, a little bit ahead of you, because they're going to have you know price points that you can compare yourself to. So I think that's the best way to look at pricing your book for that, uh, for the eBooks and for the physical book- books too. Yeah, I can see how, yeah, you become equivalent. So people say, oh, if that's the price that that author and all those authors charge and you're the same, then you're basically saying I'm I'm the same kind of quality in the same way that if I go buy a $100,000 car, there's an expectation that a $100,000 car is going to be pretty good. So, okay. Now, as somebody, I think for a lot of people are going to have the same thing. There's a bit of a, for me, I feel a bit of a fear of writing. It's that kind of, well, both in terms of getting started, but then also of putting yourself out there. You think, because it's, it's a fairly personal thing because you're saying here, I've, I've written this. Do you have any tips for people who are, I guess, fearful of getting started or even fearful of what the end product might be and what the result might be and how to get over that fear? Or is it just a case of suck it up and get started and, and run <laughs> Well, with I can it? think of a couple different things. So if you really feel like a book is down the road for you, definitely start out with a blog, start out with magazine articles, some lower end sort of things where you can get some practice writing and start feeling more comfortable about it. And then, you know, a year or two down the road, when you are ready for that book, you will feel more comfortable writing and it won't be as painful to sit down and actually get this stuff out. So that's one thing. Another thing is to actually try to think of it from another person's perspective, um, as if you were writing about somebody else. I always like to talk about this trick. Back a few years ago, my best friend and I were both single and we decided to do some online dating. So we wrote each other's profiles. And when we did that, you know, we wrote them and then we traded laptops and we went, wow, I look amazing. That was really good. I feel pretty good about myself right now. So if you can kind of step outside of yourself, I wouldn't say ask your best friend to write your book, but kind of step back and say, all right, what would somebody else be saying about my story? What would someone else want to hear, then that can kind of help you feel more comfortable about that. And then also thinking about who that ideal audience is. Because I know a lot of people, whenever they're doing anything in their business, if they start to feel kind of crappy about it, they're like, yeah, but that ideal person, I'm helping my friend Jenny, who has this big problem, I can solve her problem. And that gives them that extra push to be able to, you know, get through whatever project they're working on. So you can use that for your book too. 
I like that as an idea. It kind of ties into your your overall career vision and mission. You know, what are you trying to achieve with your career? Not just about yourself, but you know, why are you doing what you're doing? Why did you get into this particular line of work or this interest? You know, and if you can keep that in mind, then I guess yeah, it does. It drives you both in your, your work life, and I can imagine it would drive you in writing the book because you're not writing the book for everybody. You're writing the book for your audience, right. and so if you're writing a book for I don't know, young mothers, and it's picked up by an older gentleman. Well, and if he doesn't like it, then so what? It wasn't written for him. So exactly. You just, I guess you just, you know, water for ducks yes. back. So one question I like to ask, which, because I just feel like it catches people out when they come on my podcast, is I'm curious, is there something around writing books and book publishing that, that you believe that you find most other people don't agree with you on? So it doesn't have to be overly contentious. Sometimes it's just a theory or an idea that you've got to, something that you're playing with, but it's something that you find people kind of go, oh, really? I don't think that's the case. And I'm wondering if you would, if you can think of anything, would you be willing to share it now with us? Uh, well, there are actually a lot of kind of myths surrounding writing books and self-publishing. And we kind of touched on the one about it being, you know, really difficult process. I mean, we've been seeing books all our lives. We've been exposed to them in English classes. They hand you a great big tome of Shakespeare and you're like, oh my God, that's a lot of words. <laughs> that must have taken forever to write. So a lot of business owners do come to me and say, oh, I need to write a book. I don't want to spend two years doing it. Like it does not take two years if you just sit down and have a plan, especially if you're repurposing your content. So that's one of the biggest myths I get is that books take forever to write. I'm not going to spend two years writing them. And then on the other hand, I also get this, you know, the end of it myth, which is if I decide to self-publish, I need to buy a thousand copies and I'm going to have this gigantic box in my basement for the next decade. And I'm not going to you know, be able to unload these copies or make my money back. And I mean, print on demand publishing has really turned that around. So you don't have to go to a vanity press. You can go to print on demand. And like I was saying earlier, I ordered 10 copies of uh, Monkey Mermaid Magic, my kid's book, and it was five bucks a piece. It was so simple. I could even, if I wanted to order 10 copies and have it shipped to my mom where she lives, and she could sell it to her friends. It makes it so simple to just say, hey, I've got a show coming up in whatever city, and I'm going to have a box shipped to the hotel. Or like I have an event coming up in a couple of weeks. I just ordered you know 20 copies of one of the books and had it sent to my house. So it makes it so accessible to people that I'm always surprised when people still think that you have to invest such a crazy amount of time and money into getting this wonderful marketing tool for your business. I love that. I mean, it, it's you say that, and I start to think to myself, maybe you know, maybe maybe this is doable. Maybe it can happen. <laughs> I, and I know, look, I, I realize this This last question is like, how long is a piece of string? But if someone's been blogging for a while, whatever it is, videos, podcasting, presenting, so you, you know, that maybe they have a lot of the contents and it's about forming it together. If they're really dedicated, if they really put their head down and say, I'm going to do mm -hmm. this, what, what kind of time commitment are you looking at if you do, I guess, well, not the best, but you know, if you do well, what kind of time would you expect someone is actually needing to put in to produce that business book? Well, I actually run a course that we do a book in 90 days. And I mean, it's not like 
pushing okay. it really crazy, but it's a doable time frame for people who are running a business and want to have a life. Uh, I don't think three months is crazy to commit to a project like that. And I also don't think it's, you know, such a tight time frame that you are basically, you know, not showering, not eating, not sleeping and committing to this book. So I usually tell people about three months is doable. If you're super busy, or if you're not going to be as committed to writing, I think six months is also a reasonable time frame to do a book. Okay. And just out of interest with the well, two questions around the course, one obvious question is where do we find more about it? And the second question is, is it, is it done in cohorts or is it sort of done yourself? Like do I, if I join it, am I joining a group of 20 other people who are looking to self-publish and we all do it together as like a little cohort or as a class, or is it self-paced and, and we sort of work with you or do we just sort of just follow through the steps of your course? Okay. The course that I run is called Brilliant Business Book Intensive. And we do two calls a month. So it's accessible to basically anyone in the world. You can join the live call or you can watch the recording. I have a Facebook group that everybody's added to. And I do limit the number of seats for the class because I don't want to have, you know, 20 people, 30 people and try to do any one-on-one work with them. Because one of the things I like to do is have everybody submit a chapter per month to me. So it's not your entire book that I would be reading, but I would be getting three chapters throughout the course where I read it and I give you feedback. It's not editing. It's like a higher level where I'm reading it and saying, I really like what you're doing here. The flow here is great. Change this up. Maybe I had somebody recently that was using a lot of colloquialisms. They were using a lot of references from like 90s movies. And I said, I don't think that's going to be right for your audience. Uh, So things like that. So you don't end up writing you know, a 25,000 word book and hand it to your editor and they go, okay, we have a lot of changes you need to make. And then you end up stretching out your process longer. So that's kind of how I run it. The two calls per month, submitting a chapter, I give you templates for your introduction, templates for the chapters that, you know, you can adjust them. I suggest different patterns that you can use. So you basically have everything that you need to plug your information into and make it such a smooth, non-complicated process. I, I think that's, well, it's intriguing to me. And I'm, I still have that kind of, that fear of getting started and, and that kind of, I guess, I don't know what you call it, but it's that, that fear, you know, do I have enough to say, but I'm sure I probably mm-hmm. do. I think that it sounds like a, it sounds like a great idea. It sounds like particularly with the Facebook group. So I'm guessing in that Facebook group as well, you get a little bit of peer support. Other people, when you get those, you know, whether it be writer's block or just sort of some kind of fear, I guess, then that group's there to support you. So not just you, but it's the, the collective Facebook group to support in the way through. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've told them before that if they have a specific question that they think would help the group to post it in the group. And then I'll answer it there. And I've had some wonderful questions. And actually, I've had several people say, can you give us a template for this? Or what about a list of websites for this? So I've been adding to the course as we go. So I'm sure you know, a couple of years from now, it's going to be a really huge course with all this fabulous, comprehensive information. But you know, it, people can ask me questions there. Or if they feel like it's something too personal or something that's really obscure, they can email me too. And I'll answer it. But it's been really helpful. We had one student who actually posted a draft of her cover and everybody was giving her feedback on the title and what they thought about the cover and the layout and everything. So it was really a nice conversation and a good way for everyone to get ideas for their own stuff. 
I think that's great. I'm I'm a big fan of group collaboration mm-hmm. and support on on endeavors like that. Whether it be it doesn't matter what the group happens to be, it could be around fitness or it could be sort of mental health or it could be anything, but doing it in a cohort, doing it with a group of other people and it's sort of locked away. And, you know, it's it's semi public, but I, I just find it just drives you a bit more when you find people in the same situation trying to get you know, achieve the same goals. Look, I love the idea of it. And Glory, if people listening to this want to find follow you personally and, and more pearls of writing book wisdom, <laughs> if that's such, if that's such a thing, what are the best sort of social media spots to find you on where you're talking around these topics? Uh, I have a Facebook business page. It's Corey Wamsley. And I also have a just an open group for anyone who is a business owner is looking to write a book and wants to have a little bit more of a narrow set of people to kind of bang ideas around with. That one is called Write That Book, Build Your Business. And pretty much you uh, request access. There are a couple of questions to answer and I'll let you join. Brilliant. I'm really, well, I'm, I'm going to start with trepidation, but I feel like I said, the last two guests have sort of egged me on and, <laughs> and knowing that I was going to be speaking to you, I was like, oh, this is going to be really interesting. And I do know the other driving force I've got is I'm sure it will drive my wife absolutely insane, thought that if I was to publish a book <laughs> and knowing my basic literary skills and hers, I think it'd, I'd get a little bit of perverse pleasure out of publishing a book before <laughs> she did. Corey, thank you so much. It's been really interesting. I've learned so much and I'm, I'm hoping that certain actually there's a there's a number of people who have listened to this who have sort of stopped starting to really seriously think about making that step or, or maybe, you know, self-publishing a book. So I'd encourage anyone who's doing it, jump onto Corey's websites, have a look around. I'm going to be doing the same thing. And Corey, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate you jumping on the podcast. Sure. Thank you again for having me on. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope we were able to provide you with some great marketing ideas that will really help your business. As always, if you'd like to support me and the show, just jump onto iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review. Those reviews really make a difference and help me reach a broader audience. If you'd like to connect, the best way to find me, of course, is on LinkedIn, following me on social media, or just connecting. And if you've got ideas for future episodes or you're a marketer and you would like to appear in a future episode, just hit me up on LinkedIn as well. I'd be happy to have a chat. Thanks a lot. And I look forward to speaking with you next week.